that He became my sacrifice, my substitute. He became sin for you, for me, that it knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in Him. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 17, is where we're going to go this morning. Luke chapter 17. This is a probably a familiar story to many of us. It is the story of the ten lepers, and where Christ uh, is going to heal these ten lepers and ask the question, where are the nine? And we come into this passage in Luke chapter 17, and it uh, begins in verse number 11. It says, And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And in my mind, it was over ten years ago that my wife and I were given one of the greatest physical gifts we've been given, which was a trip to Israel. And so in my mind, I don't just, I'm not just reading words right here. I'm imagining where this is at. Uh, I know what the, the geography looks like. And so this is a real place and, uh, and real people here. And he says in verse number 12, And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? They are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Father, I thank you for this Sunday morning service that we gather here. I thank you, Lord, for these dear folks that made a priority to be here at this service here this morning. Lord, we're here this morning to let you know that we're serious. Lord, we need to hear from you. Lord, we're, we're not interested, I'm not interested in just going through the motions of a message, going through the motions of a Sunday morning service. Lord, I, I, I confess my absolute dependence and really desperation for you. Lord, I need you. I cannot do this without you. And Lord, we all need your help in listening and obeying what it is that you have for us. And so Lord, draw us nearer to you by us being here today. Lord, I pray that there's any here that does not know thee as Savior that you would show them their desperate need for Christ, they would come to that saving knowledge of you. Lord, may you receive all the praise and all the glory. We ask in Christ's name, amen. We find here this story is only in Luke's gospel. Luke is the physician. And so maybe he was interested because it was leprosy. And he uh, gives the story of the ten lepers. And Christ, he comes through uh, this way of Samaria. Now this was not the best way to go through. No, there was a uh, another way that they would go through. They would not go through Samaria because Jews and Samaritans had no dealings with each other. A Samaritan was a half-Jew, half-Gentile. And to Christ, it didn't matter. Jew, Gentile alike. Uh, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. Uh, Christ is the answer to racism. And uh, really, uh, the, the, every all of us are in the same boat. We're all sinners uh, in need of a Savior. And so he goes through this uh, this place of Samaria, uh, I guess John chapter 4 and 
Verse number 9 says, Thus saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is that thou, being a Jew, ask drink of me, which of a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And we'll find here in this passage that, that uh, here is uh, these ten lepers, and at least one of them is a Jew. Again, this is a sin is a leveler of us all, and this matter of leprosy is a leveler of it all as well. Now, leprosy was the scourge of the ancient world. He says there in verse uh, number 12, And he entered into a certain, man, a certain village, and there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. Now, it was uh, uh, the uh, custom that when there was leprosy, they would come outside of the city, and, and as it were, were beggars. Uh, they physically could not work and do different things. I mean, it's just uh, um, amazing uh, what uh, uh, their physical condition could be. And so uh, this, these ten men, they're all out there and, and wanting to have Jesus to stop them because they know that Jesus can heal. Jesus can save them from their condition. And Jesus can heal and save us from our sinful condition as well. And we find here this, these uh, ten men. And I imagine, uh, if you will, that uh, one of these men, the man that's from Jerusalem, uh, you know, you just think back with me here to the Bible times, and, and uh, he wakes up on a cool, crisp spring morning there in Jerusalem, and he's excited to get to work, and he walks to his place of business. The, the birds are chirping, and, and uh, he opens up that door, and, and, in, and once when that door opens up, there greets him the smell of fresh-cut wood. And he never tires of that smell. Uh, his job is that he is a woodworker. He is one of the best, and becoming uh, even more well-known around Jerusalem and, and his skills in woodworking. And at that day, he's going to sell his most expensive piece. It's going to be a great day. And he uh, goes through that day as he's doing his business, and then he comes back home and he greets his uh, family and his wife and his three children, and and uh, they and he's so excited to tell his wife about uh, how that he sold the, the most expensive piece that they're going to be set for a while now financially, and uh, they sit down to eat their evening meal, and uh, and then all of a sudden his wife says, now now honey, the, the, have you noticed what's on the side of your cheek? And uh, he was hoping she wouldn't notice. He's already noticed it before. And uh, he says, well, yes. And it's kind of this uh, white, uh, just a small little spot. It's a little scaly. And, uh, and that's the first sign of leprosy. And, she's, and just a fear comes across her face. And she says, honey, I really believe you need to get this looked at. You need to see if, if this could possibly be leprosy. Now, he doesn't want to get it looked at. He doesn't want to know the news uh, that, that it is leprosy, but he goes to the physician and he finds out, yes, he's got the dreaded disease of leprosy. Nothing, more, uh, nothing uh, provoked more fear and more dread than being told that you had leprosy. Because when you get leprosy, there's no reversal. There's no cure. Uh, some of you, you've had that phone call or that doctor tell you uh, you have cancer. Uh, my mom, two years ago, about uh, around this time, she was diagnosed with the third deadliest cancer in the world. And my, the doctor says, you've got two to six months to live. Oh, that shook our world. And I thought, well, if I've got just two months or, uh, or so with my mom, I'm, I'm going to cancel a few things. I'm going to stay home and, and uh, not go out of these, these different meetings because you know, I've only got two months with my mom. I want to spend as much time as I can. And we were praying and asking God, would you do a miracle? And uh, my mom is still alive. Uh, my mom uh, is doing the best uh, that she has done in, in a long time. Now, the cancer is still there. Uh, uh, the, uh, half the people that have this cancer, within one year, they're dead. After two years, they're all dead. 
Now it's been two years, and that cancer's still there, but it has not spread. It's just, it's a miracle. It, only God. And, uh, and God has used this to glorify himself uh, in some great ways. She's been able to speak at some ladies' conferences and things and, and testify to what God has done in her life. And uh, God's glorified himself through that. And, you know, but when you get that phone call of cancer and some of it, yeah, you can get the chemo and things. But when it came to leprosy, there's no cure. It's a it's a complete death sentence. And so they have this announcement of their condition that they are lepers. Now, leprosy, uh, how it starts, it starts with a little bit of pain. And then it's, uh, that pain can be ignored. And then that pain, uh, uh, as it's disregarded, those senses can be deadened where you don't feel it anymore. Now it's numb. You're not aware of the great damage that is happening to your body. And then everyone around you eventually can see that you have leprosy. Those closest to you are affected the most by your rotting visage. Uh, You then uh, become isolated from everything that you have known as normal life. You can't be with your family anymore. You can't uh, have those same jobs and things of that nature anymore. You're now left as an outcast to die. And you will die because there is no reversal. There is no cure. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Now what is leprosy a picture of in the Bible? It's a picture of sin. And what a great picture it is. Because there is no reversal, there is no cure for sin other than Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know of anybody here that has leprosy, but every single one of us has something far worse than leprosy, and that's sin. Every single one of us have this this sinful condition. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the same thing as sin, it, it starts with a little bit of pain. You get that conviction, I shouldn't be doing this. This is wrong. But then you can ignore that, and then your senses can become deadened. I was reading a book by uh, Tony Dungy, who uh, was the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts for many years, and, and uh, he's a born-again Christian. He uh, had a book uh, about his life, and about two pages worth were worth the, the price of the book. He talked about how he adopted a son, and, and this son, uh, I think when he was just a few months old, uh, they, they accidentally dropped him off of the couch, and he fell hard on the hardwood floor. But the son never cried. And they're like, that's kind of odd. And then about a year or so into it, they realized, you know what, he's, there's something wrong with him. And uh, they took him into the, the doctor, they did test, and his son, this adopted son, is born without one gene. It's the gene that feels pain. He doesn't feel any pain. He reaches into that oven, he doesn't know it's hot. He gets out the cookie, he bites in the cookie, he, the, the, uh, his uh, lips blister up, his hands blister, he doesn't feel the pain. He broke his arm as a little kid and didn't even feel the pain on that. He just knows he can't use his arm as well anymore. You know, and he talked about the blessing of pain. You and I, we kind of resent that a bit. It's, I don't, I don't, it's not fun. But there is a blessing to pain. And uh, that was worth the price of the book. You know, when it comes to sin, you know, we, could, we, we get in that sin, it has some pain, but then we can have it just ignored, and then our senses become deadened. We're not sensitive to the Lord anymore. Uh, and it's oh, it's so easy for us. Uh, we're this. We're so desensitized to sin. As Christians, we're so desensitized to sin. 
Charles Spurgeon said, the nearer a man gets to God, the more he sees his sinfulness. And I truly believe that. As I draw closer to God, it's like God, it's like an onion. God begins to peel off one layer after another, after another, after another, before I thought I was fine. But as I seek to get closer to God, God begins to show and reveal more and more. And, and eventually when you get to the, to the rest of that onion, it becomes nothing, which is what we are apart from Christ. We're nothing. And we, uh, we uh, uh, have so much that uh, sin in our life that we become desensitized to. I remember as a teenager, uh, there was a music CD that it was a Christian music CD, and, but uh, there was only one song that I thought, you know, as a teenager, this is a good song. The rest of them, I'm like, no, this is this is bad, you know, it's a, uh, it's not uh, edifying and so on. And and, uh, and I, I, you know, I listened to that one song. Well, then I got curious. Well, what are the other songs like? And then I started listening to those other ones. And after a while, I was listening to the whole thing, and I, it didn't even bother me. And I remember my pastor's son coming one time, and, uh, and he was hearing the music I was listening to, and he's like, Tim, why are you listening to that rock music? And I immediately, I'm trying to justify myself. I said, Mike, it's not rock music, it's Christian music. It's okay. But in my, in my heart, I, there was just such a conviction because just a few months earlier, I had the same thoughts. I realized I had become desensitized. What sins have you become desensitized? What sins are you letting into your life that maybe six months ago, maybe a year ago, did that you would think, yeah, I'm, I, that is wrong, I shouldn't be involved in this, and yet you're, it doesn't even bother you anymore. You become desensitized to sin. Do you know that sin dematures you? One of my, uh, my first ministry, my pastor uh, in San Diego, he says, Timmy, have you, have you ever been surprised yet? I didn't know what he mean, what he meant when he said that. And, uh, and he says, have you been surprised yet by people? And, and the answer to that would have been, no, I hadn't. Uh, and, and now that I've been in ministry, I, I understand. And what he was talking about is, how can some Christians act the way they are? How can some Christians that seem to be so mature, act so carnal, and, and so, uh, uh, you know, so uh, immature? It's because they let sin in their life. They let bitterness in their life. They let other things come into their life, and, it, and now they don't think straight uh, because sin clouds our thinking. And so uh, now, I, you know, yeah, I've been shocked. I, you know, I think I see some people that are that are mature in Christ, and they start acting like a carnal Christian. Was well, because of sin, but the same thing is true in my own life. How can I, as an evangelist of twelve and a half years, or how can I, as a uh, a person that got saved when I was five, grew up in a Christian home, how can I make some stupid decisions that I've done? Uh, you know, it's because of sin. And so when we take, we, we treat sin so lightly, uh, we, our senses become dead and we're not aware of the great damage that is happening to us spiritually. We hold on to that sin long enough and people can see it in our lives. And then those that are closest to us are affected by the sin that we're holding on to. Uh, then eventually, as you hold on to that sin, that sin will isolate you. There's people that aren't in this service today because there's sin in their life and they don't want to be here because they're isolating themselves because of that sin. If they'd get right with God, they'd be fine. They'd enjoy the fellowship that we have with one another. And then with sin, it's the same. If, if you don't have Christ, you are left to die. There is no reversal. There is no cure apart from Jesus Christ. You see, when you are given the condition of leprosy, immediately everything just becomes serious. I think of 9-11. Uh, you know, just uh, we were in New York City uh, last summer, and, 
uh, been there several times, but just being reminded of that. And we were there, I was there a month after 9-11 and, and uh, handed out some tracts and things. And everybody had such a sober-mindedness. And people were, were seeking, uh, seeking God. They wanted His help. Uh, they wanted His hand. But I'm afraid that our country didn't want His face. They wanted what God could do for them, but they didn't want God. But it was a, uh, you know, and just that, that just a few seconds that day, everything got very serious. People were going to work, but in just a few moments, things got very serious. It doesn't take much for our lives just to everything to change. Proverbs 27, 1, Boast not thyself tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You don't know when the last day is going to be. I don't know when the last day of my life is going to be. This may be, and many times I get up to preach, this may be the last time I'll ever get to preach. It may be. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not in control. <laughs> you know what God is? And uh, He knows what's going to happen in my life. But He says, Boast not thyself tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. In uh, Hebrews 9.27, As is appointed to men once to die, but after this the judgment. Every single one of us at some point are going to die. At some point my mom's going to die. At some point I'm going to die. At some point, you're going to die. Well, then what? It says after this, the judgment. The Bible tells you that it tells us that there are two places after we die that are that we're going to go either to heaven or we're going to go to hell, to an eternity in the lake of fire. Now, uh, why would you go to hell? John uh, Romans six twenty three. For the wages of sin is death. The word wage is an earning, and because of your sin, you have earned death. Death simply means separation. My uncle died, and I, I can't call him up and say, Hey, Uncle Roy, how are you doing? We're separated. But it's not just physical separation, it's eternal separation from God. Now, God does not want you to go to hell. Uh, God has provided a way of escape. And we see here these ten lepers, they are condemned. They're going to die. But then they hear that Jesus Christ is coming. They know that He has healed other lepers, and maybe if we can just get His attention, if we could lift up our voices to, to get His attention, then uh, then He could come and, and perhaps have mercy on us and heal us. Now, I missed a little bit of talking about what the, the leprosy is. Uh, this is uh, leprosy. This is from Edersheim, a Jewish scholar. Uh, he said, uh, he says, uh, leprosy, uh, it starts with a certain pain in the body. Numbness follows. Soon the skin in such spots lose its original color. It can be uh, th uh, thick, glossy, and scaly. And as the sickness progresses, the thickened spots become dirty sores or, or ulcers due to poor blood supply. The skin, especially around the face and the eyes and the ears, begin to bunch with deep furrows between the swellings so that the face of the afflicted of the individual becomes uh, to resemble that of a lion. Uh, fingers drop off or they're absorbed. The same thing with the toes. The throat becomes hoarse. And, uh, and they can't, uh, uh, they have just kind of a raspy voice and what they're supposed to announce when anybody was near them. They had to announce unclean, unclean. But it was a raspy voice. And so here these, they're trying to gather themselves together. Hey, let's all lift up our voices to maybe get Christ's attention. I remember the first time I looked, I googled uh, uh, leprosy, and, and uh, I don't think I have a weak stomach, but when I saw those pictures of those that had leprosy, my stomach turned. Uh, this, is what they, uh, this is what they were known as walking dead man. That's what they were. Uh, that's what uh, uh, they were described back in those days. Uh, again, nothing evoked more fear, more dread, more revulsion than seeing 
these people that had leprosy. Uh, and here they, they get their voices and they, they uh, cry out to the Lord and say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They were desperate for Christ. When's the last time you were desperate for Jesus Christ? They had to have them in their lives. They had to call upon Him. And would Jesus have mercy upon them? He says there in verse 14, and when He saw them, immediately I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, but when He saw the multitudes, He had compassion on them. And for those of us who know Christ our Savior, we can live such tunnel vision lives. We're not aware of those that have leprosy around us. We're not aware of those that are condemned already. We're of those that need Jesus Christ right now. Uh, my uh, friend Paul Crow, we were, when I was in San Diego, we went to a meeting, a uh, pastor's meeting in Los Angeles, and we're driving back, and it was a late night, uh, and so all you see is just the city lights. I mean, just all, it's all you can see. And uh, my friend Paul, he grew up in South Carolina, and I think that may have been his first time or, or so to see all those city lights. And, and uh, he said, uh, he says, Tim, and he began to just weep. He says, Tim, don't you see it? If just if just one of those lights represented one people, but it represents so so there's so many you know millions of people right here. He says, Tim, don't you see all these people that need the gospel? Tim, does it not move your heart? And my heart was not moved. And I said, Paul, I've lived here. You know, I'm I'm used to it. I'm used to being here. I, I don't see it like you see it right now. And I said, Well, oh God, help me to see it like He sees it as the as just a fresh eyes. We go through our life, we don't see the lost that are around us. Christ, it says, and He saw them. When's the last time you, you really saw a person, you thought, you know what, that person, if they don't get to Christ, they're going to be lost forever for eternity. Uh, uh, when's the last time you were broken over somebody that you knew that was lost? And it says here, and He saw them. He said to them, go, show yourselves into the priest. Now, we don't have time to get into all of that, but Leviticus, there's a certain procedure for that to happen. And so they have to take a step of faith. They have to obey what Christ has said, and, and they're going to go take this step of faith. And it says, and it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. They didn't even make it there yet. And yet Christ cleansed. Christ healed them. Now, can you imagine what, uh, what Christ just gave them? You think about their life now. I mean, here, those, toe, those fingers and those toes have been dissolved or have fallen off. Now they're back. Uh, the, the, you know, now they can work again. Now they can provide for their family. They get to go home to their family. They get to hug their family. They're, they're, uh, you know, those kids now have a father again. That wife has a husband again. I mean, everything changes. They, it gives them life. It gives them that physical life. Oh, what a gift. What a gift Christ just gave them. And yet, every person that Christ healed eventually died. Physical, physical things, oh, they're great. But you know what's greater than that? It's spiritual. You know what's greater than having the, the physical life being given? is spiritual life. And the only way that we can have spiritual life is through Jesus Christ. You see, just like these lepers, they, their only hope was Christ, our only hope for the cure of sin is Jesus Christ. The wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Jesus Christ, he, uh, he became sin for us. He, as it were, became as a leper. As we uh, illustrate with this, with this passage, uh, he became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteous of God in him. You see, he paid the price for our sin. He died our death. Uh, he took all the sin of the world upon himself. He took all of your fears, all of my anger, all of your bitterness, uh, all of my anxiety, all of the sins we've ever ha- have, have committed, all of the pride, all of the sins of unbelief, everything we've ever done, He became sin for us. Uh, I, oh, uh, my heart just, just, just aches right now. I'm trying to describe it. But, but uh, you think about what Christ went through in becoming sin for us, and then He was separated from the Father. No one ever died a death like He died. He came so far to just humble himself and, and become man. And, and, uh, and then he was uh, crucified there upon the cross. And, of course, the cat of nine tails, the crown of thorns, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the nail prints in his hands and his feet, and then being separated from the Father. You know, the, the greatest pain, I've had some broken bones and torn ligaments. I've had some pain in my life physically. But the greatest pain in my life hasn't been physical. It's been emotional. And yet no one died like Christ died. The physical pain that He went through, but then the emotional, being separated from the Father. And then He dies our death and He's buried. But then He rises again that third day. And He conquers sin. He conquers the grave. And we can have eternal life through Him. And it says in John 14 and verse 6, you say to Him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. How do we get to heaven? It's only through Christ. It's the only way. Romans 10 and verse 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him to the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. John 11.25 says, Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Have you ever seen yourself as a sinner in need of a Savior? Have you ever seen yourself needing Jesus Christ alone to save you? Many of us here this morning have. We've, we've, uh, there's been a time in our life where we saw that we needed Jesus Christ alone to save us. There was no way we were going to heal ourselves or get ourselves better with sin. No, we needed Jesus Christ to save us from our sin. To save us from the eternal punishment of the lake of fire. And you can have that, that same eternal life uh, that God promises in Titus 1-2 and hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Do you know Him? Do you know if you die today that you'd go to heaven? Do you know if your sins are forgiven? Here in a few minutes we'll give you an opportunity to get that settled. We see that they, they exercised faith. Uh, and that's what it is. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works as any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And he does cleanse them. It says there in verse 15, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a, what kind of a voice? Loud. God had healed him, didn't he? With a loud voice, glorified God, and fell down at his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. You think about what Christ just gave them. And yet, here are these nine. He says in verse 17, And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? 
Here are these nine. Maybe they're so excited about what's just happened. Maybe they're running home to their families, or maybe they're trying to get to the priest first. I don't know, but but, uh, they may be so excited about what has just happened that they've forgotten who it was that gave that to them. I, I think that this represents Christianity still today. Ten of us get saved, but only one of us come back to say thank you. Only one of us just live our life and say, God, I just... I'm so grateful for what you've done for me. Oh, he's had such mercy upon him. And he has had such mercy upon you and and, and upon me. He tells us in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Christ did the hard part. He died for us. He went through all the agonies of, of sin and and death, and, and uh, He died for us, of course, rose again. We've got the easier part to live for Him. Those of us who know Christ is our Savior, we, just, we ought to live for Him out of a gratitude, out of a heart of gratitude for what He's done, because He didn't just save us from leprosy. No, He saved us from our sins, which is far greater than the physical healing. He says there in verse 18, "...there are not found that return to give glory to God, save the stranger." He said to him, Arise, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Here are nine that selfishly went on their way. Only one comes back to give thanks. I wonder with all that Christ has done for you, are you living your life for Him? Are you surrendered to Him? Say, God, whatever you want. God, this day, it's your day. These hands, they're your hands. These feet, they're your feet. If you had a, a piece of paper, maybe you've got all these plans that you want to, to have in your life, why don't you say, you know what, God? I'm just going to give you a blank piece of paper. Whatever you want in my life, you write it. God, I'm all yours. Whatever you want to do with me. After everything you've done for me, God, I'm all in. I'm surrendered. 2 Corinthians 5.15, And that He died for all that they which live, that's us, should not henceforth live to themselves, but unto Him which died for them and rose again. Oh, we ought to be the one that comes back to say thank you to God. God, I'm, I just, I want to, to just show out of a heart of gratitude. I want to live for you with all of my heart. The verse, a uh, song that just gripped my heart the last several years has been the song, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And Isaac Watts wrote that song. He was a preacher. Many times he would write a song that would coincide with what he was preaching. I would have loved to have heard a sermon that day. But as he began to think about what Christ went through upon the cross, you know, see from his head, his, head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. That e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown. And of course, the answer is no, never has sorrow and love met as it did that day. No, never has thorns composed so rich a crown as it did that day. And when he thinks about what Christ did for him, what is his response in verse number four? And this is what's gripped me. He says, were the whole realm of nature mine. God, if I had everything back at my disposal to give to you for what you have done for me, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Oh, that's the, when you think about what Christ has done for you, He's worthy of every day. He's worthy of every breath. He's worthy of every moment, of every hour. 
And yet we live such selfish lives after what Christ has done for us. We think that we're in charge and and, uh, and it's just kind of a side note. Well, God, thank you for helping me do some other things. But no, he <coughs> we ought to fall his, down his face, fall down on, uh, on our face at his feet and give him thanks and say, God, my life is all yours, whatever you want with me. In closing, I was watching an interview many years ago by uh, Kirk Cameron. Uh, he was being interviewed, and many of you know who he is and uh, was... Uh, most famous actors back in the 80s in the show Growing Pains. And he was, uh, uh, he had the world by, by the tail, it seemed. I mean, money, fame, all those, all, anything he wanted, he had at his, his, at his disposal. But then he came to know Jesus Christ as a Savior. And, uh, and God began to change his life. And he said, uh, you know, I was wanting to please God with my life, and we're going through these different uh, uh, scenes at uh, Growing Pains, and there was one scene that would make a, an immoral situation, and, and he says, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that scene. And, uh, well, that created quite a stir, because now all the actors in that scene had to think of other, they had to write a whole new, uh, whole new uh, script about uh, uh, changing that, and they had to learn new lines. And so the tabloids got a hold of that, and they spun it, and they said, uh, Kirk Cameron goes nuts goes off the religious deep end. When he said, and I quote, when in actuality, it was nothing more than a 17-year-old kid finding something that was worth more than all the celebrity of the world and wanting his life to be a living, and he paused and just with such sincerity said, a living thank you to the God who had saved him from hell and adopted him into his family. Are you living your life as a living thank you back to God? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. In a moment, I'm going to pray. <coughs> Friend, You're here this morning and Christ has saved your, your soul. He saved you from an eternity in a lake of fire. And if He only did that, he's worthy, to be, he's worthy of our lives to be a living thank you. But oh, He pours out so many blessings to us. He's so good to us. You're here this morning and God's spoken to your heart. You've been living selfishly. God's done all this for you, and yet you're living your life so selfishly. You say, preacher, God has spoken to my heart, and I want to live my life as a living thank you. I, don't, I want to stop with this selfishness. I want to be all in, full surrender. God, blank page, whatever you want of my life. God, I want to live my life as a living thank you. You say, preacher, that's my heart. God has spoken to my heart, once, and I want to live my life as a living thank you back to Him. Would you please pray for me on that? If that's you, just slip your hand, and I'll pray for you.